What do PMS, anxiety, sleep issues, and miscarriages all have in common? Low progesterone may be playing a role in any of these. In today's episode, we unpack everything you need to know about progesterone. We talk about the important role it plays in hormone balance, fertility and conception, and maintaining a pregnancy. We discuss why it may be low, how to tell if you are, how to test for it, and what to do to increase it naturally. We dive into supplementing with progesterone, and we answer all of the questions our listeners asked about this incredible hormone. I think you're really going to love this one. Welcome to Healthy as a Mother, the podcast for becoming and being a mother, with your co-hosts, Dr. Leah Gordon and Dr. Morgan McDermott, two naturopathic doctors who get it. Each week, we teach you how to be the healthiest mother you can be, from fertility and preconception to pregnancy and birth prep through postpartum and throughout motherhood, empowering you with the natural health guidance and education you're not getting elsewhere so you can confidently navigate the broken system at large. The real, the raw, the untalked about. And remember, this information is not intended to diagnose, treat, or manage any disease. Always consult with your doctor before making any changes. Okay, welcome to the first episode of season three of Healthy as a Mother. It's so exciting to have done three seasons and just continue to pump out all of this fun information for you guys every week. And there's really no end in sight. So it's just going to keep happening. We just sort of are chunking out the seasons based on having, you know, enough content to do. Maybe it's like 14 episodes or some 12 to 14 episodes a season. And then we have a couple of weeks break so that we can catch up, get ahead. I mean, we're doing all of the editing and everything ourselves. And so as busy moms and doctors, it is a little side project, a labor of love. And we are just so happy that it's been helping all of you. And we really appreciate all the reviews and rates and subscriptions and everything that you're doing to help support us too. So we just wanted to say thank you and also welcome into season three. And this episode we're starting out with has been highly requested for some time now. So we're really prioritizing it. And Dr. Leah, you are the expert here. So We are talking all about progesterone, everything you may want to know about it. And then we also reached out to you guys. We asked you to write in your questions. And so we're going to answer those at the end of the podcast. But first, let's just talk about what it is, why does it matter, how to test for it, you know, all of your experience through the years, especially with women trying to conceive, having fertility issues potentially, and, um, you know, anything that would be important for the listeners to know about. So go ahead and take it away. Yeah. Absolutely. So progesterone is one of the most important hormones that we have. It plays a role in how we feel every month. It plays a role in sleep, in our mood. It helps to calm ourselves down. It mitigates stress. It helps us to not have anxiety. It is absolutely great. <laughs> yeah, it is great. It is absolutely essential for becoming pregnant and staying pregnant. And so it is, I feel, an under-talked about hormone and not well-supported in the conventional model, in my opinion, based on what I've seen with patients and just out there in the world. So moral of the story is it's very important for someone listening who's like, why would this matter to me? Just to give you just a high-level view. If you struggle with PMS, sleep issues or anxiety, especially the two weeks before your period, you might be struggling with progesterone. If you struggle with getting pregnant, if you're not able to get pregnant and or you've had early losses once you become pregnant, if you've had spotting before your period, so like little amount of blood before your full period starts, these are all signs as to why it might be important for you to listen to this episode because 
progesterone is a really big deal and having enough progesterone is a big deal. It's not just, oh, like I want my hormones to be balanced. It could be, it could make or break your ability to have a baby. That's how important it is. So, wow. Yeah, it's important. So let's it's talk. Whole thing. One yeah. thing that I love too about the word progesterone is that it stands for pro gestation. Pro just and gestation is the act of you know making and creating a baby through pregnancy. And so this is really that hormone. You know, I feel like everyone in the general populace has heard of estrogen and then testosterone and the progesterone. Yeah, like you said, it kind of gets pushed to the wayside. But if anything, it's just as important as those other two. It's like a th- you know three little little three legged stool. There's many other hormones that play apart, but it is a big main one and it just mm-hmm. doesn't get as much love as it needs because it's, it's huge. And it also yeah. makes us feel really good. <laughs> yeah. So first, before we talk about more about it, how to support it, um, how to raise it naturally, all of the specific questions that the listeners have asked us that I have, uh, meticulously written down all the answers for, uh, let's just talk a little bit about how it's made. And I think when you, if you're a how person, not everybody's a how or a why person. Um, but I think for those who are, it can be really helpful to understand its role in, in the whole cycle. So when we talk about fertility and becoming pregnant, a lot of people hyper-focus on ovulation and they want to know, do I have enough estrogen? Did I ovulate? Where am I in my ovulation cycle? Like where is ovulation? Obviously that's important because that's when you're should be having sex and that's when sperm meets egg. But what gets little attention and what shouldn't get such little attention is what happens after ovulation. So in a woman's cycle, she has a period. Okay, she's bleeding, she's got a period for, you know, five to seven ish days typically. So that's about a week. That's the menstrual phase. The next week of her cycle is the follicular phase. And this is when the hormones are ramping up to prepare for ovulation. You have some peaks in estrogen, you have some rises in testosterone. And this peak in estrogen causes hormones from your brain to trigger ovulation, which is kicking an egg out of your ovary. The egg is developed for actually four months before ovulation. It's a slow process. It's about 100 days that it takes that egg that you ovulate that cycle that could become your baby to be matured. Okay. So it's a long process of lots of different nutrients and exposures, the stress that you have, all of that really impacts the health of the egg and the follicle that is around the egg. So when you ovulate, that little egg bursts through a wall of a follicle. So imagine the follicle is like the egg's little home inside of your ovary. And the egg leaves the home. Okay. It bursts oh out gosh. of the follicle. Really quick, not to interrupt you, although I to. I just got the way you described that. I just got the Kool-Aid man breaking through the wall. Oh my gosh. <laughs> like, I'm here for the party. <laughs> That's exactly it. The Kool-Aid man's totally breaking through the wall. It is like that because the, the egg like literally bursts out it of the It literally bursts, yes. It, ruptures. It, it, it's, it's it doesn't rupture. just slip out. It just ruptures, <laughs> right? It's crazy. And so when it ruptures, that egg then is kind of moving along in the fallopian tube. You know, you can think about it as like leaving home to go to college or figure out what's going on. It's on, it's on the road. And if it comes into contact with a healthy sperm – then conception happens and then you continue on to make an embryo and eventually have a baby. But where progesterone comes in is that leftover follicle. Okay. So the, the home that that egg was in that follicle after ovulation turns into something called your corpus luteum. 
K. Some people call it corpus lucium, whatever, potato, potato. (laughs) I call it your luteum, but who knows? And it starts to make progesterone. So progesterone is not very high or present at all in your body in the first two weeks of your cycle. Once you ovulate and that egg is kicked out, that follicle then turns into the corpus luteum that makes progesterone. And where this is important is when that egg is circulating in your fallopian tube and it comes in contact with sperm, then if it happens, it will continue to become an embryo. And the role that progesterone plays is it kind of prepares the uterus for that embryo to implant. It's basically like everyone gather around. It's like, (laughs) I don't know, just some whatever you could imagine, someone gathering a a nesting place for this embryo. So it, it calms the immune system down so that the immune system doesn't attack the embryo. It makes the uterine more dense and more nutrient. uh, it, It makes it just more receptive so that when that embryo finally makes its way to the uterus, it can attach onto the uterus, which is what we need in order for the baby to grow. And the role that it plays is it holds the uterine wall up like a dam. It doesn't let it crumble down. Any crumbling of a uterine wall is bleeding. In our period, the reason we bleed is because progesterone drops, and then that causes us to bleed. If a woman becomes pregnant, and she has early spotting, that could be, it's not always the case, but it could be a sign of not having enough progesterone to hold up that dam. If you don't have enough progesterone in early pregnancy, you can lose your baby. And that's a miscarriage, right? Not all miscarriages are from low progesterone, but they can cause miscarriages, especially before 10 weeks. Okay. So what could be happening, just so people are like walking through this in their mind, is that you have a healthy fertilization Several days go by as the embryo is making its way down the fallopian tubes into the uterus. It reaches the uterus. It even implants into the uterine lining, but there's still not enough progesterone in the system to alert your body that this is happening and to keep and hold on to it. So when it comes around time for your period to happen, it doesn't really know that there's a baby growing there and it just sloughs off and the dam opens and it you have a period and all of that lining from your uterine lining, including the very, very small early embryo is comes out with it, correct? Yes. And or people can be many weeks pregnant. I mean, you could be seven, eight weeks pregnant. And if your progesterone is not high enough, because what happens is let's go back to that corpus luteum. Okay. So that corpus luteum, which is making progesterone, it needs to be healthy and strong enough to continue to make progesterone until that little baby embryo's placenta has grown up enough that it takes over. So around nine to 10 weeks of pregnancy, the placenta is like, hey, I'm big. I'm a big girl now. I got this progesterone thing. I can take over corpus luteum. You did a great job bridging the gap. I'm now going to take over. You can go away now. What happens with some people if they have unhealthy corpus luteums and they don't make enough progesterone is that corpus luteum goes away too soon. And if it goes away too soon before pregnancy, that's called a short luteal phase. So people have asked the question about short luteal phases. That basically means from ovulation to period is less than 10 days. It should be 14 days. If you have a a short cycle or a time from ovulation to your period of less than 10 days, it's probably because you have an issue with your corpus luteum. 
you're not making enough progesterone, you can't hold the wall of the uterus up enough so it sloughs off too soon. If you have an unhealthy corpus luteum and not enough progesterone production in pregnancy, then before the placenta can take over around, you know, eight, nine, 10 weeks, then you can lose the baby. And the baby could be totally normal and healthy because sometimes people have miscarriages because the baby itself is unhealthy. There's chromosomal abnormalities. There's issues with the baby itself. And that is a really common one for those early, early miscarriages as well. Too. Exactly. That's typically what I see what happens more in those like four to six week losses, six to 10 week losses a lot of times it is that progesterone because the body has a hard time maintaining until the placenta can take over. Um, so yeah, it's, it's not that it's the only cause, but it's definitely a cause of losing baby. So it's amazing with- that any of it works ever. <laughs> I know. I mean, seriously, <laughs> it is crazy because there's so many things lined up and stacked up and counting on other parts of the body to work. And it's just such a miracle and to have revenants for this, you know, and I know it can seem really frustrating when people are on these infertility paths and then they see other people that are, you know, accidentally getting pregnant and different things like that. It can be so triggering and so frustrating. And it is wild because it's like, why it doesn't seem fair all the time. And still every single conception and baby that makes it is such a beautifully orchestrated, amazing event. The fact that all of this has to happen and take place. And, you know, there's so many areas where it can not quite make it all the way. So I just wanted to yeah. point that out because we need to just sort of be in, continue to stay in awe as much as we can of our bodies and the fact that like it's trying really hard. It's trying really hard mm-hmm. to orchestrate all of this at the same time. And there's little tweaks that we can make that make huge differences. Yeah, exactly. And so when we talk about, you know, the number one question I get asked is, well, how do we raise progesterone? How do we make us have enough progesterone naturally? And in order to answer that question, I needed to share how it was made with you because the reason why conventional medicine doesn't do hormones or fertility very well is because they don't understand how everything is connected and there's multiple facets and different systems and and elements that go into doing something like helping a hormone. (laughs) Okay. So there is a time and a place to give actual progesterone, which I'll talk about in a little bit, but to just raise progesterone naturally, the key is to boost the health of your overall body and your follicle health. And that means your egg health. So when people talk about boosting egg quality, a lot of times they just think, oh, I just want to have a healthy egg so that I can have a healthy embryo. But I say you want to boost the health of your whole body to not only have healthy eggs, but also have healthy follicles so that you have healthy progesterone production so that you can keep that baby. Yes. So so much more than just one thing. Exactly. Everything's connected. And what are some of the biggest things that that block your the health of your corpus luteum and the health of your follicles and the health of your eggs? The cool thing is that they're all the same stuff, the same stuff that affects Egg quality typically affects the corpus luteum and progesterone. So if you're working on one, you're working on both, which is really cool. It's not like you have to have a 15 list separate thing for all of these different things. Like the majority of it is the same. But the biggest, biggest one with the corpus luteum and egg quality and and follicle health is stress. And if you talk to anybody in the fertility space, if you said, what's the number one thing that's affecting fertility? They're going to say stress because stress is... The biggest killer on so many levels, we could go into all the different mechanisms as to why it's happening, but 
when we talk about the health of the follicle, you need to have the proper hormonal uh, signals to the follicles to have them develop and the proper nutrients to have them grow. And stress blocks both of those. Okay. (laughs) Because I've talked about this in other podcasts where when it comes to reproduction, your body will prioritize either preserving your life. You know, if you are stressed, your body perceives that as you're in danger. So your body will either choose to save your life or to reproduce. It is not going to pick them at the same time. Like you have to pick one. And this is why stress is so important. The other thing that affects the corpus luteum is inflammation. So inflammation is like fire on the inside of your body. And that can come from lots of different places. It can come from the foods that you eat. It can come from infections that you have, like bad gut bacteria or parasites. It can come from toxins that you're exposed to or preservatives and all the fillers and things that are in foods. Um, And stress. Stress also raises inflammation. So, you know, I'll talk a little bit about what you can do. And we have resources on this. And I actually have a whole course on how to support yourself in all of these facets because people are like, okay, I'm stressed, but what do I do about it? And I get Mm -hmm. that which is why I've created resources for you because it's really hard to just be told to reduce your stress. So I've, you know, I get that. So I I have created these resources for you guys, but stress, inflammation, thyroid. Okay. So thyroid Mm -hmm. is a hormone that is the, it's produced in the front of your neck. It plays a role in how much weight you gain or lose your hair health, your skin, your nail health, your brain health. It's very important. And when you have low thyroid, it's harder for you to make progesterone, okay? Because thyroid is so involved in everything. It, they're very connected. So if you have thyroid issues, if you've done labs and checked that, that's a priority to address. Insulin issues, okay? But balancing your blood sugar is so important. It's one of the foundations that I teach in my programs And you do that by eating good quality protein, lots of healthy fats, not skipping meals, not having smoothies for breakfast, not intermittent fasting, you know, not eating high sugar sodas, just having really good whole foods consistently and nourishing your body. Toxins. Okay. Toxins, the number second thing in my mind and probably a lot of people, number second, (laughs) number second says Dr. Leah is (laughs) toxins. So aside from stress, I would say toxins are the second most common thing that is affecting fertility. The conventional world does not get that yet. They will catch up. It'll probably take 50 years or more, but, um, at that point it might be too late, but Toxins. So toxins affect everything. So what you choose to buy, bring into your home, your cleaning products, your personal care products, the foods that you choose to purchase, you know, eating pesticides, herbicides, like all of that impacts the health of your eggs, your follicles and your progesterone production. Alcohol. Alcohol could kind of... Really quick about toxins though. So we have a whole episode we'll link in the show notes that's about detoxing before pregnancy. And the reason why this is really important for this particularly is that all of the reproductive hormones are steroid hormones. Mm -hmm. Steroid hormones means that they're fat. So they are like a, they have fat on them, a like literal fat molecule. And these toxins, it's not just that they do mess up and clog up all of our other systems, which does happen, but some of them mimic 
and can sit mm-hmm. in the receptors or can act on and act as if hormones <clears throat> in our mm-hmm. body. So they mess things up directly in the reproductive system. Toxins aren't as important in some of the other systems. But here, it's really, really a big deal. It's very upsetting that the conventional model won't really recognize it yet. And I think it has to do with the interplay between all of the major systems and corporations with, you know, big agriculture, big pharma, everything. Mm -hmm. And it's just, I know that it can seem like it's a trend. It can seem like it's kitschy. It's this like word that, oh, detoxing. And it's like, <laughs> no, you guys, we, we, we break all of that aspect down specifically like the stigma around toxics, toxicity and detoxing in that episode. So go ahead and have a listen there, but it is very important. Like we really need to be thinking about this. Some people's bodies manage it pretty well. There, some people live in a, extremely toxic areas. They seem to not have that big of a problem with it because, you know, maybe they were blessed with great genetics, great epigenetics and really, really high functioning liver. And as you explained in that episode too, like a sink and drain analogy, some mm-hmm. other people don't. And so a very small amount can be very, very, uh, have a lot of repercussions for you in your particular life. And so not to scare anybody, it's just that this is all empowering knowledge so that we can take it into our own individual lives and make individual plans for ourselves that are going to get us the things that we want, like a healthy baby. So anyway, I just wanted to mm-hmm. say that, that it's not trendy. It's not a keyword and it really impacts specifically the reproductive system. Yeah. Yeah. The reproductive system in you and also the reproductive system in your baby. Yes. So, especially um, if you're carrying a baby girl. <laughs> or a baby boy. Or a baby they, boy. But they all yes, both matter. Of them, both, yeah, yeah. They are both impacted. Different things to impact them in different ways. So yes. very important. So the last few things I'm going to talk about that can impact it. Um, alcohol. You know, a lot of people would consider alcohol pretty poisonous. <laughs> Yeah, it, it is. <laughs> it is quite poisonous. Um, and a lot of women, especially who have sleep issues, kind of self-medicate. Sleep or anxiety. Okay. If you have sleep and anxiety issues, I see this a lot in practice that women self-medicate with a glass of wine or they'll be like, oh, I'm just unwinding. I am feeling really anxious. So I'm going to have a glass of wine or I don't sleep well and I sleep better if I have a drink. What actually is probably going on if you have sleep and anxiety issues is that you already have low progesterone from all of these other things we've talked about. And you're craving GABA. GABA is an inhibitory neurotransmitter that helps you calm down, feel relaxed and go to sleep. Um, Alcohol to some degree can increase GABA, but it has a reciprocal effect of actually worsening your hormones, causing more inflammation impacting your liver. And so although people do get this like immediate sort of relief, which is why they've self-medicated, they found that this works for them. It doesn't actually work in the long run and it makes it worse. So anytime someone is using a substance in any capacity, whether it's marijuana, alcohol, even exercise to some degree to fix a symptom, like I have to exercise because I'm so anxious or I have to, you know, smoke weed or whatever. That's a sign that there's some imbalance going on. And I would encourage you instead to find the root cause of that rather than self-medicating with a substance, because at the end of the day, excessive amounts of those things are definitely going to cause more harm than than good. And it's still a Band-Aid. It's not getting to the root cause. You, you're sort of just like doing a little quick coping mechanism for something that's underlying and deeper that you could actually like take care of the whole problem in the root. Yeah. yeah. As soon as someone tells me, oh, they love to have a glass of wine because it helps calm them down, I immediately know what's going on with their biochemistry. Yeah. I'm like, oh, you have low GABA. You probably have a nutrient deficiencies and low progesterone with like high amounts of cortisol. And it's just like all makes sense. 
Um, so the last thing, oh, other things can impact progesterone as well. I got this as a question on our Instagram poll about stevia. And it is true. There are studies that have shown that stevia, which is a natural sweetener that is found from the stevia leaf of the stevia plant, seems to lower progesterone in the body. It it actually blocks the progesterone receptor. So it doesn't necessarily lower progesterone, but it blocks the receptor. So you have the symptoms of lower progesterone. So if you're a person who's trying to go sugar free and you just load up on a ton of stevia and you're noticing some of these symptoms of low progesterone, it might be one to cut out and find some other alternative like monk fruit or uh, some other non-toxic sweetener. Like I would never choose aspartame or or something. Yeah, xylitol is probably better. Monk fruit is like better. Small amounts, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And even in some cases, real cane sugar might be a better choice. You know, depending on your situation, not in excess by any stretch, but not everything has to be stevia sweetened, right? Yes. So, um, just to keep in that in mind. And then the most major thing outside of all of the things I've already talked about, <laughs> um, the third one, one no, um, is lack of nutrients. Okay. We have talked about this at length in other episodes. I speak about it a lot and I can't really drive the point home any louder. (laughs) Let her be very clear. Let me be very clear. A body in deficiency is not going to make a baby. Like you have to have food. You have to have nutrients. You have to have a surplus of those things in order to give the message to your body that you can give to another. It doesn't mean that you need to be overweight by any stretch. Actually, a lot of people who are obese actually have nutrient deficiencies. And there's some theories that believe that poor weight management is from nutrient deficiencies. So when I say excess, I do not mean that you are overweight. I mean that you are nourishing yourself with good whole foods as much as you can, good quality animal products, high quality produce that's not, or you know, sprayed with pesticides as much as you can. And potentially in my worldview, taking really high quality supplements to supplement the nutrients that you're not getting from the food. Even if you're eating really, really good, awesome food, the nutrient status of all of our food has gone down substantially in the last few years because of how it's grown, because of the soil depletion, because of farming practices, all of these things. So the key nutrients for progesterone are magnesium, so key, and people are so deficient in magnesium. If you are a person with PMS and anxiety before your period and you crave chocolate, most likely you're deficient in magnesium. Okay. So chocolate has a lot of magnesium. A lot of people crave it because of that. Um, Vitamin B6 in particular, taurine, vitamin D, which we get from the sun, zinc, iodine, which you only get from iodized salt or seaweed. And a lot of people eat healthy salt that doesn't have iodine in it anymore. So a lot of people are deficient in iodine and selenium. So I just want to highlight that many of these nutrients that are essential to make progesterone are depleted by the birth control pill. So I know. So if you have been on the birth control pill um, and have not replenished your body, or if you're currently on the pill and want to have a baby, I would highly recommend boosting your nutrients. Um, You know, our favorite is needed. Uh, I love their prenatal because it's dosed so well. Other good brands are full circle, um, seeking health. These are some options that I really like, but I love needed. Um, 
because we dose the nutrients and we choose the proper nutrients that you can absorb. In the this proper would, forms too. In the proper yeah. forms. Mm-hmm. And I will say also all of these things or most of these things are depleted by stress. So it's like a really mm-hmm. big, <laughs> um, people don't realize that, that the idea of being stressed out will deplete your nutrients faster, but your body, what's happening is like when you feel stressed, there's all these chemical pathways that are being released in your body that have cofactor needs in the enzymes and the way that these chemical reactions play, if anybody remembers anything from their chemistry classes, they have, that is what vitamins and minerals do. They are cofactors in enzyme enzymatic reactions. And so we, and we use them up all the time because we're constantly super stressed and our cortisol adrenaline is pumping through our body, blah, 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 blah. It's like you're ramped up on it. It's like you're using it up at double speed or something. And so it's going to be depleted. And then you're you're too stressed and too busy to eat well, and then you don't, and then you forget your vitamins, you don't take them, you don't believe them, and whatever it is. You know what I mean? Like you can see how this is just a very kind of sad reality happening really quickly in a circular manner if people don't get on a hold of it really quickly. So anyways, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And the other thing to know is toxins also deplete the nutrients at super speed. So we have two things working against us in modern world which is more stress than ever before, more toxins than ever before, poor quality food than ever before. And we wonder why people have hormonal imbalance and fertility problems. So (laughs) it's like not a mystery, um, but it sucks. And people need tools to be able to, to help themselves. So really quickly, before I get into how to raise it naturally, which is basically reversing all the things I just talked about, I just want to run through a list of some symptoms, just again, for you as a listener, to just ask yourself, like, could I potentially have low progesterone? It's really hard to know without testing. So some signs that you might are mood swings, um, hot flashes or night sweats, if you're having those at all, irritability, bloating, breast tenderness or swelling, headaches or migraines, hair loss, acne, PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, anxiety, especially before your period, reduced stress resiliency. Like if Things stress you out way more than you think they should or more than other people around you. Difficulty sleeping. Um, if you have fertile mucus during the premenstrual phase, that can be a sign. So like- Whoa, that's interesting. Yeah. Because what is happening there? Well, it's because progesterone counters estrogen. So estrogen is kind of the opposite hormone of progesterone in many ways. And you'll see a lot of these symptoms I'm talking about are symptoms of estrogen dominance. And when you have low progesterone, you automatically have symptoms of estrogen dominance, even if your estrogen isn't very high. There's two types of estrogen dominance. One is having low progesterone. So it's relative estrogen dominance. The other is you have plenty of estrogen or plenty of progesterone, but you have really high estrogen. So there's two different situations that can happen. Your symptoms show up the same. Because it's just the ratio between the two of them. What's the gap? Yeah. Yes, exactly. So this is where testing can be very helpful to know what it is that you're dealing with. Are you dealing with low progesterone or are you dealing with high estrogen? Um, So some other signs, premenstrual bleeding or spotting. So basically if you are getting ready for your period, but a few days before you notice blood in your underwear, just like spots, that's a huge sign of low progesterone prolonged or heavy menstrual bleeding. Again, that's because you have way too much estrogen to progesterone in your body. So you're bleeding way too much. Fibroids, um, a history of early miscarriage, as we've talked about, signs of perimenopause. But I would say the top ones are PMS, anxiety or stress 
issues before your period, spotting before your period, and for some people, bloating. Um, Those Mm. are kind of the ones I see the most in practice. So then how do people test if they're curious if they, this sounds like them. I know there's going to be listeners who are just going, oh my God, (laughs) that is me to a T. And they're feeling like they really want answers. They really want to know so that they can start on the path of starting to fix this issue. What Mm -hmm. is your favorite type of testing? What would you suggest they go and get from their doctor, et cetera? Yeah. So you can absolutely ask your doctor for testing. You might get pushback depending on who your doctor is and their knowledge of hormones and the woman's body, which you would be shocked at what, you know, if you just have a primary care doctor, some are awesome and they're totally on board. Some will want to refer you to a gynecologist or an endocrinologist. And then that person might just want to put you on birth control. So it just depends on who your providers are. I hope you're blessed with amazing providers because they definitely exist and are out there. Um, But don't be surprised if they give you pushback to be like, why does that matter? If you have these symptoms, just go on the pill. Okay. Or if you're trying to conceive, they'd be like, whatever, just keep trying. It's just, we've heard, we've heard all the things. So just don't be shocked, but hopefully you have a great doctor and you can just ask them to check your progesterone. I have seen so many labs from doctors who check progesterone on day three of the cycle and it blows my mind. That is not when you check progesterone. If you go into the doctor for a fertility panel and they do not tell you to come in again during your mid luteal phase, which is a week after ovulation to check progesterone, then you are not getting a thorough fertility workup. When you go- You need both, you mean. You need need both. day three and day about seven after ovulation. Yes, day three of your cycle. So day one is first day of bleeding. So day three of your cycle is when we want to look at FSH, LH, those come from the brain. We want to look at estrogen. You can look at prolactin and, and testosterone at that time. That's fine. But progesterone at that time is not going to be accurate because it hasn't been made yet because you haven't ovulated <laughs> oh yet. God. Okay. So it, you, whatever, you can run it. You know, sometimes it's in panels that I run that it's just hard to take out of the panel, but you need to, again, check just progesterone if, if that's what you want to check in the mid-luteal phase. So once you have ovulated, for most women, that's about, you know, 12 to 18 days, 14 on average. But if you can check for your progesterone or for your ovulation, that's ideal. Or if you can feel, you know, your, your fertile mucus and kind of know when you ovulate about seven days after that is when you want to check progesterone and you can do this in blood. Again, your doctor could order the test or you can get a test on your own. So I love this lab called Ulta lab tests. And you can just order tests on your own. It's like, I don't know, $15 or something for a progesterone test. And they, I think, draw a quest. Um, so super easy that you can get tests on your own. Or you can do at-home testing with urine. Um, companies like Prove, P-R-O-O-V, they have at-home urine testing of progesterone. It's not testing the exact same thing as the blood progesterone, but it's checking the urinary metabolite of your progesterone. So there's pros and cons to that, but for most people, it should be an accurate measurement. I am a fan of always getting a blood test if you can, if you're very curious, but Prove can be a great option. And if you are trying to conceive and you check your progesterone, you want it to be, in my world, at least 15. In blood, 15 nanograms per mil. In the conventional world, they say 10 is adequate. But in my world and in a lot of functional and naturopathic medicines world, 15 is where we want to see it. 
That's what we see needs to be enough to hopefully not lose baby, okay, in a miscarriage. If you are trying to conceive and you do a blood test in that mid-luteal phase and it is less than that, then either take all the steps that we are talking about to improve the quality of your eggs and or if you do become pregnant, I would absolutely get support with progesterone right away. So what that looks like is you can, with doctors that prescribe hormones like naturopathic doctors, functional medicine doctors, and some conventional doctors will do this, but you will probably get a lot of pushback depending on who you talk to. Um, Hopefully you have a cool doctor, like I said. You can take vaginal or oral progesterone to just help give your body some extra hormone to get you through until your placenta can take over around, you know, 10 weeks. It doesn't mean if you have an unhealthy embryo or baby that that's going to keep an unhealthy baby in your body. Like I've been asked that by a lot of patients, you know, if if you have a chromosomal abnormality and the baby was going to miscarry due to that, if you had a molar pregnancy, if you have any of these things, that's still going to take place because all we're doing with the additional support is giving your body what it should have already had naturally. And even if a woman is making normal natural progesterone and has a chromosomally abnormal embryo, the body's going to, you know, miscarry, even if your progesterone is adequate. Okay. So it's not the case then that like, say in a situation where baby had some chromosomal abnormalities was not going to be viable with life and was going to pass away. Even if I'm a woman taking oral or vaginal progesterone, my body will somehow still recognize without a drop in progesterone, will still recognize that something's wrong and decide to like, you know, remove the fetus, remove all of it. It should. Yes. Um, obviously if your levels are like extreme, you know, the whole point is if the baby's not viable, then the placenta is not going to be healthy enough. And it might take a while to, to recognize that. Yeah. Missed um, miscarriages are common in that way. Yeah. But you, your body should still, have that experience. And I've definitely seen patients, unfortunately, still have that experience if there's something wrong with the actual embryo. Um, so that's a question that I get asked a lot of like, oh, if I take this and the baby's not supposed to be here, like, am I messing something up? All you're doing is giving your body what should be there already. And the goal is that you don't need to actually take external progesterone because you've done all the lifestyle and dietary stuff that you don't need that. But Remember how I told you that the egg and the follicles are made for almost four months before you conceive? If you're trying to conceive this month, but you just found out about this podcast, you just learned about this, you started you know, making changes, you might not see an actual improvement in your progesterone for like three to four months. So I'm just saying just in case, if you check your progesterone, do the steps, take the steps to work on your lifestyle. But if you do happen to be pregnant that month and your progesterone is less than 15, especially if it's less than 10, you need to right away find someone who can support you with progesterone. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> and I then, like that. And so then you would have them be on it until like 12 weeks. Yes. I'm very conservative and I love to test because I don't believe in just throwing something at somebody and not testing them again. I have seen that plenty of times <laughs> as well, where people will just be given something, even in the IVF world, they're just given progesterone and no one's checking their levels. So the I got this question in the Instagram of how often do you test if you're on progesterone in pregnancy? So 
I'm a fan when it comes to testing progesterone to do a test mid luteal phase on any woman, wherever she is to just get a pulse on where it's at. Okay. If it's adequate, awesome. Keep doing what you're doing. Maybe make some tweaks and improvements in general. But if it's lower than 15, and especially if it's lower than 10, you need to get super serious about what's going on. Your stress, your inflammation, your nutrient status, your diet, your gut health, your thyroid, like start figuring it out. And if you become pregnant, the minute you have a positive pregnancy test, I would get tested. So I would do the Ulta lab test. You can do that on your own. A lot of doctors will not see their patients until they're 10 weeks pregnant. If you're going to have a miscarriage from progesterone being low, you will have already lost the baby before anyone ever sees their doctor. So this is so sad and it's such a missing part of our healthcare system and it makes me so sad. This is such a preventable way to prevent unnecessary miscarriages, but women do not have the support. So this is why I like giving you the resources that you can do it on your own. Okay. So do the testing as soon as you find out you're pregnant. If it's less than 15 then I would right away find a naturopathic doctor, a functional medicine doctor, somebody who can help support you or reach out to your primary care doctor and just say, hey, you know, I have tested my progesterone. It's less than 15. I know from all of the studies and all of the people that I follow that this could be a risk of miscarriage. Are you open to helping me? And hopefully they're a good person and they will be open to that. But if they are not, just find a different doctor, okay? Um, You can then take vaginal progesterone or oral. Um, The typical dose would be anywhere from 50 to 200 milligrams, depending on your levels. I typically start more conservative, around 50 or 100 milligrams, and then test to see if the body's, you know, doing well. But if I have a person who has a history of pregnancy loss, and I know that they've had a low progesterone or their progesterone's less than 10, I might start at like 100 or 200 vaginally or like 100, 150 orally. So if you want the benefit of sleep and anxiety reduction, oral is better. You definitely get more support with that and you have to take it at night because it'll make you tired. <laughs> um, so some people prefer one or the other. Is there any downsides to the oral one or sh- is that kind of... Not really. I mean, the 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 studies actually show that orals may be a little bit better at preventing miscarriage. Some people feel that the vaginal is more effective because it's more localized in like the female region. Um, I've done both. I've seen good results with both. It just depends on what. I mean, it seems like if we can avoid like a messy thing in our vaginas (laughs) and also get sleep and anxiety (laughs) reduction, maybe oral would be more ideal. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So I think whatever your, your doctor's like comfortable with, but yeah, oral or, or vaginal, you know, oral has to pass through your liver. So there's that piece where the vaginal doesn't, but anyways, so then, okay, you've done the testing, right? When you've gotten pregnant, you've gotten the support. I would then check a few days later, three, four days later, just to make sure that that dose is appropriate for you and or that your progesterone is naturally like, you know, going up and that it's not that you need more. Like I've had some patients who maybe we start at 50 milligrams, we test four days later, they're still not high enough. I want to see the progesterone in early pregnancy, at least in the 20s, mid 20s to higher 20s is my goal. Um, up into the 30s or 40s is great. A progesterone over like 60 is too high. So um, basically you start at 15 and it kind of just increases from there until you kind of level out around like 30s or 40s. So after that, 
unless you have a history of loss, like I have had patients who've had a history of loss that we have ruled out everything else. It's very highly suspicious that it's a low progesterone thing. Then you can maybe check every week or every two weeks in those early parts of pregnancy just to make sure. And, or if you have a history of loss and all of a sudden, like I had one patient who she came to me after a loss very low progesterone. Her progesterone was like six. So she was definitely still ovulating, but it wasn't high. She made drastic lifestyle changes, got toxins out of her life, improved her diet, her nutrition, her gut health, like complete 360 on her life. It was amazing. And when she, we, I supported her with, with progesterone for her pregnancy. She got pregnant the second time and that went great. It was awesome. We weaned her off around 12 weeks. Baby was perfect. Great. Like three years later, she wanted to have another baby. We checked her progesterone and her progesterone was great. It was like at 15, it was a perfect number. So I was like, you don't don't need progesterone. You've made so many changes in your life. You don't need that extra support. So she got pregnant. Everything was good. And she called me, I think she was like seven weeks and had been on a flight and was stressed probably and was exposed to toxins and things and started to have spotting. So right away, I said, go test your progesterone. Here's a prescription for progesterone. Start it right away because it's not going to hurt you. Right. And we need to see if that's what's going on. And so that we have no crystal ball, but like she just delivered her, her second baby. Oh, and so, what was her number then at that time? Do you remember? I can't remember exactly. I want to say it was maybe like 19 or something, or maybe like 18. Like it wasn't like super low, but it was lower than I would have liked it in those early Yeah, days. yeah, yeah. So it was like, clearly she had a stressful event, maybe some toxin exposure, maybe some sleep issues that like had a blurp. But if there's enough of a blurp in your progesterone, yeah. you could lose the baby. So you know, could she have moved through that and like not had progesterone support and have a totally normal pregnancy? Totally. There's mid, there's spotting that happens in pregnancy all the time. But that's for me where I'm like, let's make sure it's not progesterone. And I knew her history. And so that's a situation where like, who knows, but like we could have potentially saved the baby. I mean, we, the baby's alive. So, you know. Yeah. No, that's amazing. I, I think it would be cool if we brought more like patient case studies into these episodes where it's relevant too, because I think a lot of people can see themselves in these stories and it's just nice to hear how it can change and goes, you know, because a lot of times- it's all like very downy and sad, but it there is totally. people do get better and people. Totally. people I mean, I had another patient. I had another patient who had, I think she had two losses. And again, everything else was ruled out. And we supported her with progesterone. And she definitely needed more progesterone than than you would have thought. And she was kind of stressed about it. So she checked like every week. And I supported her probably until 15 weeks because she was really nervous to like come off the progesterone. She just didn't want to lose her baby. And like she just delivered a few weeks ago. So it's just like really cool. But that's where I get really upset and sad, especially when the conventional world says there's no role for progesterone in early pregnancy that, you know, that's hogwash that, you know, progesterone, like, oh my God, I've seen some horrible like doctors talking about things where I'm like, you have no idea what you're talking about. And a lot of them are males where I'm like, you don't know what it's like to be on the verge of losing your child. And this hormone that is not bad for you, like why? It's just, it's so frustrating. So for anyone who is out there, you know, whether you're trying to prevent testing your progesterone is a great prevention strategy. And if you've had a history of loss um, and other things have been ruled out, then it's, it's really good. So I wouldn't 
test maybe beyond two times in early pregnancy, unless you like really want to, but your conventional doctor is not going to let you. So it would have to be you doing it on your own. Um, but there's really no need to do it past 10 weeks because your placenta should have taken over at that point. Okay, cool. Thank you so much. Okay. So do you want to go ahead and start knocking out these questions from the, yeah, the Instagram poll? Okay. Should we just go in order or do you have a preference? Uh, no, you can just go in order. I've, I've answered some of them like throughout. So I guess you can just read. Let's hit like see. the big main one, which is how to raise it naturally. This is going to take yes. some time. And then there's, there's definitely some shorter questions that we'll kind of knock out and we'll go through them as well. But can you kind of walk us through in your experience with all of your experience that you have, which is so awesome, especially in this world, you're such an expert here. How do you raise it naturally? I know we mentioned that it was mostly going to be, you know, overall improvement of health in your body, just as mm-hmm. everything is. And that is actually the cool thing. And that is one thing about reproduction and being doctors that specialize in the reproductive system of women that you and I both like love mm-hmm. is that because we see a lot of colleagues that specialize in other things and it kind of sometimes depending on whatever the issue is, it narrows the scope of their ability to use different modalities or whatever, because it's not applicable in those situations. But something that you and I love about reproduction is that it is so all encompassing. It's all just about it's like actual health. I know. <laughs> it's like we get to use all of these tools and know all of the physiology, all of the the systems, and figure out what is like. We get to play detective. Like, what is it that's causing you to not be able to do this very natural physiological thing? When we talk about raising progesterone naturally, we do the opposite of the things that make it low, which I already <laughs> talked about, but let's just highlight this. So as I told you, it's a hundred day journey to optimize your egg quality, your follicle quality, and therefore your progesterone production. This isn't a short-term thing, but if you start to adopt these changes in your life, you know, then it will just become a part of how you live and it won't be that big of a deal, but it can take, you know, three to four months. So what to improve? Anything that you're doing to improve egg quality and overall health is going to help this. The first and foremost is nourishment. We've already talked about this. Eating whole foods, things that come from the earth, things that eat what comes from the earth. If it doesn't have a bunch of ingredients, if it wasn't made in a lab, uh, those are the things that you want to focus on. So lots of good produce, lots of good quality proteins, animal products if you eat them, you know, eggs and fruits and all of the things that are, are whole foods. You want to correct nutrient deficiencies. So this is going to probably require supplementation with high quality nutrients like those in needed or other high quality vitamins. I am not a fan of all prenatals. Some of them are really poor quality or they're not dosed appropriately or anybody who's like, it's only two pills (laughs) to have a prenatal. You do not have enough nutrients in two pills to support anything. So don't believe the hype. That is them lying to you. And honestly, it makes me really mad because they're really giving women false hope that they're helping themselves when they're not. So I just want to say shame on you to those people. (laughs) Like you are not helping women. Um, So like I said, magnesium, all the B vitamins, vitamin D, iodine, zinc, and selenium are the key nutrients you want to focus on. Um, If you have thyroid issues, I would recommend testing those. I have a free optimal lab ranges guide at womanhoodwellness.com slash labs. So you can see what I recommend testing before fertility and what the optimal ranges are. If you are outside of those ranges, I highly recommend either taking my course or even better working with someone one-on-one to identify your root causes of what's going on with your thyroid. 
balance your blood sugar. Again, I teach a lot about this. If you're like, okay, Dr. Leah, but like I need more guidance on what to actually do. I have a course that teaches you about all of this stuff. Okay. So my fertility formula teaches you about everything, but breaking or balancing blood sugar, starting off your morning with high quality protein and or fat for breakfast. Don't skip meals, avoid candy bars and cookies and ice cream all of the time. You know, you can have some of those things sometimes, but just don't make it your regular. Just eating lots of good quality protein um, really helps to balance your blood sugar. And the reason too, just for all those people who are like the why people, balancing blood sugar is not just like, oh, because it feels good. It's it's inextricably linked to all of our reproductive hormones and the way Mm -hmm. that they pulse and are coming out. And I, my first experience with the naturopathic medicine, just as a little side note was with this exact thing. I got off birth control in college. Everyone thought I was nutty, but I just, (laughs) I was like, I'm not doing this. And my acne went absolutely bonkers wild, wild afterwards as it can. And I worked with a naturopathic doctor who you used to shadow as well, mm-hmm. who was the ones that turned you on to naturopathic medicine and then subsequently turned me on to naturopathic medicine. And really all I did was she was like, okay, we're going to work on, tell me about your diet. Told her about it. Of course, I'm like a college student. It's horrible. So all I did was work on balancing my blood sugar and my acne went away within like a month. That was mm-hmm. it. And she explained it to me. And at the time I didn't really understand. Now I understand it much better, but she was explaining, you know, the way that insulin and the liver and the way that all of the cortisol and estrogen, progesterone, and the whole cascade of how they all are made from this cholesterol backbone and everything. And I was like, absolutely amazed that my hormones would regulate from my blood sugar being regulated. And so it's not just like, oh yeah, because that's uh, like, sounds nice. Like, but I can still skip meals and push myself and fast and yeah, intermittent fasting, which I know is a huge trend, but it is not in line for most people. There is very few people who are going to do well with that. If you are in the reproductive er- time of your life right now, trying to get pregnant and have babies, it's just not the time. Do it another time. Not right now. You need to be having enough nutrients. It's a very, very nutrient dense and heavy time period and also with all of your hormones. So anyway, I just wanted to mm-hmm. throw that in there because I think sometimes people need that connection of you're doing this for a reason that will directly impact your hormones. It's not just because there's a reason. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So we mentioned stress and how impactful that is. So doing whatever you can to reduce stress. I break stress down in my, in my module in the facility formulas to like what it is and what exactly to do. But the biggest thing is to like make a list of all the things that stress you out, whether that's everything in just like your mind and your environment. And you say, can I change this thing? You know, if convert converting, if commuting to your job is the biggest source of your stress, you ask yourself, can I change that thing? And a lot of times you'd be shocked if you really get honest with yourself that yes, you can. People be like, oh, but that's my job. I'm like, could you not find a different job? Could you not move closer to your job? Like sometimes there are restrictions for sure, but get creative and think outside the box. If it is something, so ask yourself, can I change this? And take the steps to change that. If it is something you cannot change, ask yourself, how can I change my mindset around this? For example, you know, you might have a struggle with your mother. And can you change who your mother is? No, you cannot change who your mother is. But can you go to therapy? Can you work on your own experience of the triggers that maybe come up with you around your mother? Or, you know, what can you change within yourself so that, when she comes around, you don't become unraveled. 
Or maybe you take steps to not see her as often. You know, like there's so many things that you can do. I think a lot of people just live in default in their life. Like they're just being ping ponged around like a this, you know, powerless little blob. And there's so much that we can do and change and create the life that we really want. And sometimes it might be sacrificing certain things or making big changes in your life. You know, I would say in general, one of the most powerful things, unfortunately, for people is getting a jobectomy. Most people's jobs are the biggest source of their stress. And I recognize that people need to have jobs to put food on the table. But like, if you're a night nurse working in a really unhealthy hospital setting where you are, you know, having this circadian rhythm disruption and you're around all these chemicals and stuff, you're a nurse. Is there some other thing you can do with your profession? I have had nurses completely do 360s, especially with all the COVID stuff, where they're very happy, maybe working in outpatient settings or working in a dermatology office or something where they're not having night shifts on the ER, exposed to chemicals in the surgery center. Like these are just examples of just because you went into a certain profession that the conventional world says, this is the only thing you can do. That's not true. So just thinking outside the box, writing that list, that's like my biggest tip to, to tell you about stress. Yes, exercise and meditation and stuff are important, but if you don't change the big stuff that are like really impacting you on a day-to-day level, then it's going to be hard to shift. Um, reducing toxin exposure. Again, I've got a lot of free resources on this on my website, womanhoodwellness.com slash products um, of different things to change, the ewg.org app. Um, and then as far as you know, nutrient support and, and herbs and things, some top things for, for progesterone. Dioscorea or wild yam is a herb that helps to naturally kind of boost progesterone. I would say it's not getting to the root cause as much as it's just a phytonutrient, um, but it can still be helpful. Um, white peony root, antioxidants like CoQ10 are really great. Uh, evening primrose oil is another great one. Reducing inflammation with things like turmeric. I actually just found out about this new company and I'm obsessed with it. It's called Core Cumin and I actually weirdly have it right here. I mean, people can't see this, but um, it's like a nano-sized turmeric. It's called Core Cumin Pro by Nourish Me. And my husband started taking it for his back and it's already making a huge difference and so many other things haven't. And so it's really powerful at reducing inflammation. So that's another good option to look at. And then from a dietary perspective, like I said, reducing inflammation in the food, you know, processed sugar, conventional dairy, wheat and gluten for some people. Um, For some people, nightshades like tomatoes, eggplants can be problematic. For some people, things like lentils. So even if you think you're eating well, if you're still having issues, you know, maybe playing with some experiments of pulling certain foods out. Again, I have resources for you on all of this. This is why I've created so many courses. It's like honestly crazy how much I have. If you feel overwhelmed and just want to be told exactly what to do. So those are kind of the basic things and it's all lifestyle shifts and changes, but it can make a huge difference. And I would say the two most important, well, the three most important one are nourishment, nutrients, stress reduction, and toxin reduction. And all of those two are interplaying with each other because Mm -hmm. if you 
you know, if you don't have enough nutrients on board, you can't detox as well. You also can't manage your stress as well. And you're going to feel more stressed if your body's depleted from nutrients, and et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So we really need to get on top of that. Also, just even just to say that like when you eat better and your body is more resilient, all of your nervous system thresholds increase, the threshold mm-hmm. increasing, meaning that like you have more resiliency. So then things are going to stress you out less. It mm-hmm. really is like, it's difficult to get going. I understand. It's like a moving a train, but once you get it going, everything, our bodies are designed and meant and want to be healthy. They want right. to be in line together. So anyways. Okay. So let's talk about, let's do some kind of the rapid fire of some of these other questions. So how to support after coming off of birth control. Now let's just speak specifically about how to support progesterone off of coming off of birth control. And I know you have a lot of other resources here. We will link all of these resources in the show notes so that you guys can easily find Dr. Leah's courses. This is literally what her business is all about is making (laughs) sure that we have resources for people to walk through and learn on your own, how to support yourself in these specific facets of fertility. Yeah. Yeah. So it's all the same stuff because everything's all the same stuff when it comes (laughs) to hormones. But the biggest thing to just remember is that birth control, especially the oral pill, depletes almost all the nutrients that you need to make progesterone. So if you are currently on birth control, get your diet figured out and get on a good quality high dose prenatal or multivitamin right away. And if you've stopped birth control, do the same thing. Okay. It is key, key, key that you get those nutrients. And then birth control also induces a lot of inflammation. So whatever you can to get inflammation down, maybe using the curcumin pro to kind of block it. And then at the same time, getting your food figured out. Um, I would say those are some of the most important things to do uh, getting off birth control. Great. Okay. What about when should you take it after ovulation or when you get pregnant? What does that mean? Okay. So when people are take- asking, when should you take progesterone? Oh, so sometimes people recommend progesterone when you're trying to conceive, um, whether you have a low progesterone or maybe they just think it will help with fertility. You do not want to take progesterone in the first two weeks of your cycle. You only start taking progesterone after you ovulate. Three days after ovulation is typical. So what you would do is if you're trying to conceive and you know you have low progesterone, you're working on all the lifestyle stuff, but let's say you're working with somebody who's prescribed you progesterone, then three days after ovulation, you would start taking progesterone and then you would go through the motions for the two weeks, test to see if you're pregnant. If you are not pregnant, then you stop the progesterone, okay? You need to be very clear that you are not pregnant. So either your period begins on its own or you are very much clear that you are not pregnant. You've taken many pregnancy tests. You are very much in the window past the two weeks where you would not be pregnant. Then you would stop the progesterone. Your period most likely will happen on its own. So that's a good sign that you aren't pregnant. Then you would stop the progesterone for two weeks until you ovulate again, and then you start it again. If you stop progesterone too soon and you really are pregnant, you could potentially lose the baby. And if you continue to take progesterone all the way through your period and into your next cycle, then it can block ovulation. So it's only for three days after ovulation up until your period comes, or you are very much clear that you are not pregnant. You know, a few days have gone by past your two week wait and you are still not pregnant. So that's how you take it. What would people expect? So once they stop taking the progesterone, say they're not pregnant, would they start to bleed within like a day or two of stopping it usually? Yeah, but typically your body has a period on its own. Because okay. you're just That'd supplementing. Be you're just yeah. supplementing what is happening. You're not the sole 
one. So most people's period begins already and then they just stop the progesterone and it's it's just a continued drop in progesterone that the body experiences. Right. And if, because I can see this question coming out as a follow-up, if you see blood and you're like, is this implantation bleeding? Is this spotting? Am I pregnant? And this is spotting. Your, your urine pregnancy tests would pr- very, very much like most likely be would very, very most likely be positive at that point. And if you want to be extra sure before you stop, you can get a blood HCG. That will be the very most accurate way to ensure that you are or are not pregnant. And then you can make that decision to stop the progesterone. Yeah. This is why this is typically supported with a doctor, right? Yes, like, because there's a like lot of testing. Yeah. You can do the testing on your own, but to actually get the progesterone, it's important to have someone to support you. But um, this is just so people know. If they go, you can get progesterone creams and other things, and I've seen people use them inappropriately. So if people are going to go do that, even though I recommend getting an actual like formulated thing, because the oral or the creams aren't as accurate and they don't prescribe or they don't give the same amount of dosage every time. So you have a risk of maybe like not getting as much that day. And if you're pregnant, that could be a problem. So if you have the ability, obviously not everybody has the ability. So I just wanted you to know if you find, you know, diascorea herbs or other creams and things like that's how you do the progesterone thing. Yes. Awesome. Okay. So how about recommendations for when to take progesterone for IVF? Okay. So if anyone's going through IVF, progesterone is going to be recommended for you. There's two different ways that it happens. Sometimes people do a natural transfer, which is what I do where I already ovulate on my own and they just track that and then implant the embryo at the time that I would normally have an implanted embryo naturally. So I would already be making some of my own progesterone because I ovulated on my own. And then they just supplement with a little bit extra vaginally or orally, um, just like I would do for a normal woman who got pregnant naturally and had somewhat lower progesterone. The more typical way is that people have a medicated cycle for IVF. And so they don't actually have a normal ovulation. Everything is medicated. And in that regard, they need a lot more progesterone. So it's typically given in an IM injection, like an intramuscular in the glute and the butt. Um, and this isn't a fat, it's in a liquid. So for anyone who's gone through IVF, they know anyone who's, you know, going into that space. The biggest thing is you just want to like keep it warm. Anything that is fatty is going to do better if it's warm and it can move more often, you know, getting help injecting, having that space be heated up with a heating pad, warming up the bottle, kind of jiggling it, walking around afterwards, um, switching sides, maybe using numbing cream. So that's a question I get a lot because progesterone is not fun to take, but you might want to ask your doctor if you're a candidate for just vaginal progesterone, even in IVF. It's a possibility depending on, on your case. Why wouldn't it be available oral for IVF? You could do it oral too. I mean, I don't know. They just don't do it oral very often. I don't know why. Okay. This is a random question, but I'm just trying to remember exactly how this goes. For you doing a natural transfer, you ovulate your egg, your corpus Mm -hmm. luteum from that follicle is going to start to create progesterone. Uh They implant your baby when it would normally be implanted. Yep. And your corpus luteum is getting feedback to continue to make progesterone. You are going to be taking your supplementary progesterone, but your corpus luteum is still going to do things. Yes. So when someone becomes pregnant, there is HCG, 
Yes. That basically tells the corpus luteum to stick around. Yeah, keep going. Otherwise, it degrades. Exactly. So in the presence of HCG, which is the hormone that when you do a pregnancy test, if you pee on a stick and it's positive, it means it's picking up HCG. And in the presence of HCG, which you only make from an embryo, then it tells the corpus luteum, hey, we have a pregnancy. Don't degrade. Stick around. Keep making progesterone. So Beautiful. Yes. That happens whether you implant via IVF. For me, because I ovulated, not for everybody doing IVF, but anyone who's doing um, ovulation or for anyone who's naturally gotten pregnant because they would have had to have ovulated. Wow. Okay, cool. Yep. I just wanted to clarify that. Okay. Next question. How does breastfeeding affect progesterone? Good question. So we've talked a lot about getting pregnant and staying pregnant. So now what happens after you have a baby, whether you want to get pregnant again or whatever. So what happens is progesterone's up the whole time during pregnancy and it's blocking prolactin, which is the hormone that helps you have breast milk. So when you give birth, immediately your progesterone drops just like it does in your period that causes you to have a period. But this situation allows prolactin to like go full force and then your milk comes in. So this drop in progesterone actually can be a big reason why women have postpartum anxiety and depression as well, because all of a sudden they've had this comfortable hormone pulled out from under them. Um, But basically it drops, then you start making milk. The production of milk has prolactin around it. Prolactin kind of downregulates your brain hormones, which affect ovulation. And if you don't ovulate, then you don't make progesterone. This is how women are sometimes not able to get pregnant right after they give birth. However, some women do start ovulating even while they're breastfeeding. But traditionally, we do see that progesterone is a little bit less, even in the women who are breastfeeding, who are ovulating. And that could be just because of the hormonal intricacies at play. It could be nutrients are going to the baby through the breast milk and not to progesterone. So now you're in a situation like a nutriently depleted person. (laughs) And so if you are breastfeeding, let's say you're a year, year and a half out postpartum and still breastfeeding, your progesterone might be on the lower side. So it might be a little bit harder for you to get pregnant. Not impossible. And you might be eating so much and having so many nutrients because you're taking lots of good supplements and eating lots of good food that you have plenty of progesterone and you can get pregnant very easily. So being fertile, having your period come back while breastfeeding is a sign of optimal nourishment that you could potentially get pregnant again. If you are breastfeeding and you still don't have your period or your progesterone is really low if you check it. It might be a sign that you need to up your nutrients and your nutrient status and work on all the things we've talked about potentially before you get pregnant again. Yeah. And then there will be some women who just won't be able to get pregnant again until after they wean and they don't Uh have that presence of prolactin anymore. Prolactin is another one where the name gives it away. Prolactin, lact, lactation. So prolactin is what keeps us in a lactating state. Mm -hmm. Progesterone keeps us in a pregnant state. Um, They kind of work inversely. Oh, and- I was doing a lot of research about placenta consumption for my um, immediate postpartum series course that I have coming out in September. Yay. And woohoo. Yeah. (laughs) Super excited about that. Uh, And so there is some controversy around this. There's been lactation consultants who have noticed that there is some women who are so sensitive to exogenous hormones, meaning outside of their own body, that 
to take a placenta pill, say you get it encapsulated and you're taking it several times a day for a couple of weeks postpartum, there is biologically active amounts of estrogen, estradiol in the form of estradiol and progesterone in placenta as they've done on lab testing. And so to to be taking progesterone when you're supposed to be in this state of low progesterone so that you can have high amounts of lactation and prolactin, it can be just enough for somebody who's sensitive or maybe who's on the cusp of not quite producing enough, et cetera, to affect their milk supply. And so a lot of lactation consultants will ask women who are maybe, you know, diagnosed with having a low milk supply, are you eating placenta? You shouldn't not, it's not, it's not in one size fits all basically is to mm-hmm. eat your placenta. And actually, if we think about it, cause I used to be for years, I was like, well, all other mammals besides camels and marine animal mammals eat their placentas. So why wouldn't humans? And, but they don't take it for weeks. <laughs> they eat it right then and there, right after birth for like a nutrient, almost like as if it's a liver, like it's an organ. Mm-hmm. It's a very full pack full of, you know, really good nutrients. And then they're done. They don't do it for weeks and weeks on end or later on, et cetera. So just a little food for thought. I'm still kind of mulling it over, but I, I do outline all of that in the course as well. Like what are the other options? Cool. What's the research say, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, cool, cool stuff. Oh, so cool. We together know all the things. <laughs> I was going to say, why are all of our podcast episodes becoming like two hours? We're going to be Joe Rogan pretty soon. <laughs> I know. We'll just, we'll finish up with these last two questions and then we'll call it a day. Okay. Okay. <laughs> we should really ask the audience what they think. Is it, is it yeah. like getting too long or is it okay? All right. Is the arm implant of progesterone after birth better than the pill? Okay. So just, I want to speak briefly. When people say that they're taking progesterone birth control, you're taking progestin birth control. This is like the new over-the-counter one. Yep. Let's talk about it. God. It's a synthetic (laughs) form of progesterone. It is not the same as taking progesterone. It does not help with anxiety. It does not help with sleep. It causes more side effects. Not to say that birth control is not needed in times and places and post-birth, I get that if you're like very worried about that. Um, In my professional opinion, I know a lot about birth control and ultimately it is your decision. But in my professional opinion, I have seen a lot of more crazy side effects from the arm implant than something like the IUD. Both have progestin only, like... um, Outside of the copper IUD, the hormonal IUD is just progestin. The arm implant is progestin. The implant and the shot seem to be much worse for the body than the IUD. From an oral pill perspective, in the oral pill, you have estrogen and progestin in a typical pill. So we typically don't recommend that postpartum if you're breastfeeding because you don't want to have the estrogen for the baby. So typically women are taking the mini pill, which is a progestin-only pill. You have to be so consistent. You cannot miss one day. You cannot be off one hour or it's not effective. So if you are the person who's like, I am not going to remember that. I don't even know what day it is. Then (laughs) having the mini pill is not a good choice for you. Something like an IUD, if you want a device that's like you don't have to think about, I would choose the IUD over the implant personally. Um, And or you can practice other Things like Fexi and stuff like that, if you really don't want birth control or if you don't want hormones, maybe the copper IUD because you've already given birth. So, you know, a lot of people are concerned about having an IUD before they've given birth, but um, I don't think it's an issue. So, yeah, that's my take. If you had to pick, I would pick the IUD over the implant. So then is this new over-the-counter progestin birth control, it is just a mini pill. pill. It's the same thing. 
you know, I haven't even looked into it to know, but if it's well, progestin, it's progestin only, so it must be, then yeah, then it's not going to be effective. And all of these women are going to take it and they're going to get pregnant. Yeah. Because you have to be, I mean, honestly, when we say that you have to be at the exact same hour, it is. I mean, I need to look into that because if that's the case, then basically they're just setting women up for failure, a bunch of unwanted pregnancies. Well, if they're just going to be, because the user error is so much greater. So I, I mean, I know there's a lot of people who are super happy about it and I understand where they're coming from. And it also is just, there's just even more now lack of informed consent of the way that things need to go. The fact Yeah. That I mean, who's going to tell body. them how to take it? Yeah, nobody. Not that the doctors are telling women how to take it anyways. (laughs) I'm not saying that the doctors are like doing a good job as is, but um, the mini pill, you have to be so consistent or it does not work. Yeah, that's, that's, we should, we should do another episode about that. Yeah. Yep. 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 Okay. So what about the connection between progesterone and thyroid? Yeah. So this is the last thing I'll talk about. We get this a lot. And basically, I already mentioned that low thyroid can affect progesterone, but basically when you have high estrogen relative to progesterone, so estrogen dominance, then your liver makes more binding proteins. Okay. So we have hormones circulating around our body and then we have proteins that bind them up. We have and sex hormones. inactive, like it takes yes. them out of circulation. Yes, it binds them up and they can't do anything. Okay. So when you're in a state of estrogen dominance, which can be from having really high estrogen or having low progesterone, you make more binding globulins. They bind up all your hormones. Thyroid is one of those where it binds it up. So your labs might look normal, but you actually don't have enough thyroid. So you can have symptoms of weight gain and brain fog and constipation and poor hair and skin health and infertility because your progesterone is low, your estrogen is high. So it binds up all of your thyroid. So this is another reason why optimizing your progesterone and your thyroid together. They're like the chicken or the egg. They go together. Just all the same things work on a lot of them of the core foundations. You would think that the sex hormone binding globulin, that's what it's called, the binding thing that we're talking about. The fact that it binds up the thyroid hormone in circulation, you would think that that would be reflected in the blood. If you, so if you check the free levels, yes. So it's thyroid binding globulin that goes up. There is sex hormone binding globulin that that binds up testosterone, but if you check free and total, so when you look at your labs, then you can tell the fraction. Yes. So for example, if you have high thyroid binding globulin, your TSH might look normal, which is what most doctors check. And if you check total T4, that might look normal. But if you check free T4, that would be low. Or free T3 would be low because what is free is what is unbound. And that, unless, yeah, and that should always be tested. As yeah, in our, in our world it is. In, in naturopathic medicine and functional medicine, it always is. But in conventional medicine, it is hardly ever. Okay, I know you want to be done, but I'm just going to keep going because I know people want to know the answers. So let's just, we can do them quicker. But so progesterone and hormonal acne, the connection, what's the connection there and how to improve? Yeah, so progesterone kind of plays a role in increasing testosterone. And again, all your hormones are so connected. So (laughs) it's just kind of think of progesterone is not an androgen. Androgens are the testosterone, DHEA, these like more male hormones that cause acne and and hair loss and greasy skin and PCOS and all of that. But they are more, it is more in that group. You know, if you had to like put it in a group, it just hangs out a little bit more there because they're kind of the opposite of estrogen. Estrogen Mm. is very much that predominant female type of hormone with like big boobs and, you know, voluptuousness and all of that. And so progesterone and testosterone have an interesting relationship. And so if 
you have higher progesterone, you could potentially have higher testosterone, especially if you've got blood sugar issues going on, insulin issues. Um, So that's one route as to how progesterone can affect acne and how you improve that is doing all the things that we've already talked about. I have a course um, that's my hormone healing toolkit where I dive into all of the different ways to optimize your hormones and each high or low of every hormone and exactly what to do if you are curious about that. I've taken that course from you and it's really good. Cool. Okay. Here's a quickie. Six weeks pregnant and progesterone is 44. Thoughts? Great. That's a great level. Actually quite high. I'm curious as to whether she's taking progesterone. Um, Six weeks pregnant with a 44 is like typically I'm seeing it in the 20s. Wait, is does progesterone go higher if there's twins? If there's two follicles? Oh, potentially. I saw her HCG though, and the HCG didn't look like a twin HCG, but it's possible. Okay. Wow. Yeah, not necessarily because it's the health of the corpus luteum. It's not like it needs to be greater. HCG higher, will definitely yeah. be higher, but you can also have high HCG and not have twins. <laughs> People That's will true. be like, I'm probably having twins. And it's like the range not. of HCG is like one of the most wild things I've it's ever seen. It's so wild. It'll yeah, be like from a couple hundred to a few thousand. And it's like, well, mm-hmm. thanks. That doesn't really help me. Okay. Can you lose a baby due to low progesterone later on in the pregnancy, like in the second tr- trimester? This is typically a no. Um, It's not impossible, but the placenta should take over around that 10-ish week mark. And if you were to lose the baby due to low progesterone from the placenta not making enough, which is what would be happening later in a pregnancy, then the baby has problems that are beyond just progesterone production, because if the placenta is that unhealthy that it can't make progesterone 10 weeks on, that it is not going to be able probably to be a viable pregnancy. And there's probably something else going on. So second and third trimester miscarriages are typically other things. Progesterone miscarriages are typically in that like six to 10 week range. Perfect. Okay. And then I think this will be the last one is luteal phase defect. What causes it and how short is too short of a cycle? I know you had kind of explained Mm -hmm. what it was, but yeah, how do, I feel like this is sort of a sneak stealth reason for lack of fertility in women and it needs to be more talked about. Yeah. So as I mentioned in your cycle, you've got your, your menstrual phase, which is for most women, like five to seven ish days where you're bleeding. Then you have your follicular phase where you're ramping up for ovulation. Then you ovulate And after ovulation is your luteal phase. Luteal phase should be 14 days because that is how long it takes a healthy corpus luteum to degrade if no HCG from a pregnancy is detected, okay? So once you ovulate, your corpus luteum is made from the follicle on the outside of the egg. It makes progesterone. The corpus luteum has about a 14-day life cycle where (laughs) if pregnancy is not happened, if sperm and egg do not meet and an embryo is not producing HCG, the hormone that you see on a pregnancy test, then it basically has a time clock where it ramps up progesterone, where it's the highest a week after ovulation. That's mid luteal phase. When I say go get your hormones checked mid luteal phase, you check progesterone when it should be at its highest a week after ovulation, a week before you get your next period, the seven day mark between the 14 day luteal phase. Okay. So for anyone who's a visual person, Um, if you have an issue with your corpus luteum, then it's going to degrade faster than 14 days. If it is not healthy enough, if you do not have enough nutrients, if you were exposed to a ton of toxins, if you are very stressed, if you are very inflamed, 
all of these things will cause that corpus luteum to be unhealthy. Like just imagine like a decrepit little corpus luteum. And so it can like barely make enough progesterone. It's like, oh, barely. And then I'm going to just like shrivel away much sooner. So that will cause you to have the time from ovulation to your next period be less than 10 days. So if you are tracking your cycle and you are tracking your ovulation and you're like, I know for a fact, I've checked my LH surges, I've checked my cervical mucus. Like I know for a fact I ovulated on this day and I know for a fact that my period came like nine days later. That's a short luteal phase. And that means you have an unhealthy corpus luteum that you need to do all the things that we talked about to optimize and improve. And there's not a pill that you can take to make that better. Yes, you can take a progesterone pill to help you save a pregnancy, to keep a pregnancy, but a short luteal phase typically is issues with thyroid, issues with inflammation, issues with nutrients, issues with toxins, issues with stress, issues with all the things we've talked about. It might take time to work on those, but it is a big deal because it basically means that your body's not healthy enough to hold a baby for the most part because naturally you wouldn't be able to. Like I said, there are ways around it if, if you do become pregnant and things like that, but um, the same things that you do to support what we've talked about help support short luteal phases. It's a signal. This is why they call our, your menstrual cycle the fifth vital sign because mm -hmm. there is so much you can learn from knowing about all of the details and the intricacies of your cycle that tell you how your body is doing and what your health is like and uh, so many different things that are impactful and important and that we should want to improve for our own selves and our own experience of life not only just in the light of getting pregnant and making a baby, but you know what I mean? Yeah. So I do have a follow-up question to that, which is what in your opinion, maybe from a functional perspective, if somebody is having like an 11, 12, 13 day luteal phase, it's not quite 14 days, but it's not under 10. What do we think? I would just say suboptimal. There okay, is a range yeah. of optimal. There's a range of suboptimal and there's a range of there's a problem here. So I would say all of the same things. And the other thing I didn't mention in how to improve and support is in naturopathic medicine, we do this a lot, which is called biphasic tinctures or biphasic mm. herbs. So this is where you take certain herbs at the first part of your cycle and certain herbs at the second part. It's similar to seed cycling, but you're just using seeds to do the same thing. So a lot of times we will recommend things like maca and uh, more estrogen supportive herbs at the first half of your cycle. And then the herbs that are really good for supporting progesterone in the second half are Vitex, um, Dioscorea, Wild Yam, and Evening Primrose Oil. Those are some pretty good ones. There's others for sure. But uh, people like Wise Woman Herbals, they're a company that has a good biphasic tincture set. And so that's where you would change up the tincture. You do one for the first half and one for the second half. Or seed cycling is another way to do that. You're basically taking seeds that mimic estrogen for the first half and seeds that mimic progesterone. It's not getting to the root cause of like inflammation and toxins and stuff, but it does kind of help to reset the system and yeah. it can be a helpful tool. Yeah, I like I like seed cycling and the, the biphasic tinctures in the woman who is like maybe coming off of birth control or something like that. Mm -hmm. And we're trying to just get her body to find that pattern yes. again and to find the rhythm. And it can be really encouraging for, okay, remember this body, we're doing this. You know what I mean? And it's yeah. acute. You're not going to continue this forever and ever. It's something that you do for like a period of time. Mm -hmm. And then you ideally are getting off of that because again, like, yes, if, if, if you get off your biphasic tinctures and everything goes whack, then there's something deeper going on that we really yes. need to fix. Yeah. No, They're I'm pretty glad. gentle. Yeah. And I'm glad we brought that up because that is a big, a big part of, 
in our world, that's how we would reset. In the conventional world, if someone's having cycle issues, sometimes they will give actual progesterone to try to reset the cycle. I'm someone who will use diet lifestyle and the biphasic herbs and tinctures first before bringing in progesterone to try to reset someone's cycle. Um, They just don't have any of those tools, so they don't know. Okay, cool. And then this is actually important, I think, to to know just for people who maybe have PCOS or don't even know that they're not cycling. But if when you do a mid-luteal phase progesterone test, Mm-hmm. And there is almost no progesterone. It needs to be above three in order to prove that you've had an ovulation, correct? Uh, three to five, I would say yes. It, if you do a mid-luteal phase and between three to five, it's there, then it's like, yes, you probably ovulated. If your progesterone is less than three, you probably didn't ovulate. Okay. Yeah. So if it's less than three, then you had what's called an anovulatory cycle, meaning that you are just, you didn't actually drop an egg that particular cycle, which is something that happens in polycystic ovarian syndrome and other syndromes and things. So we need to be this, there's, there's helpful information here about your progesterone beyond just, is it high enough to keep this baby? It's like, am I even cycling? So anyway, I just saw that as like a last little question. So we pretty much got through all of the questions, which is amazing. I Mm -hmm. am really stoked about that. And thank you to the listeners and our Instagram followers for submitting them. And I hope that this has really cleared up a lot. This has been like a very awesome, cool, deep dive into hormones in all different ways. And hopefully too, we're just sort of continuing to layer on paint onto the picture that we're trying to paint that general health is the way to optimal fertility and, you know, a healthy pregnancy, postpartum birth, motherhood, life experience so that everybody can be as healthy as they can be. Yep. Awesome. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Dr. Leah. We'll see you guys next week. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Healthy as a Mother podcast. In order for others to hear this information, please leave a review with Apple Podcasts, subscribe, and send to a friend who could benefit from this content. We're so excited to share more on becoming and being a mother next time. And please remember that the ideas and views of this podcast are for informational purposes only and are not intended to serve as a substitute for medical care of any kind, including the diagnosis or treatment of any illness or disease. Consult with your provider before integrating this information into your own care plan. And remember, a healthier future starts now and it starts with you.